0: Welcome to Advent on Table Radio. Today's sermon is from Sunday, December 5th, and is preached by Emma source, the ending, he, of the things that are Hello, Table Friends. It is the second week of Advent, and we are still in chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, beginning at verse 7. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but someone who is more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. This is a very strange motivational speech and would never fly today as a TED talk. Who insults people that they are trying to motivate? Who reams out those who are coming to them asking to be baptized? But John is no ordinary baptizer. This unwashed, animal-skin-wearing, honey-eating wilderness man was prophesying about the coming Messiah, and all of a sudden, everybody's listening to him. Everyone is hanging out with him. There is suspicion in the crowd John might, in fact, be the Messiah. He quickly debunks this theory, but clearly people are actively searching for a Messiah to follow. They come to John to be baptized, and one by one, group by group, they ask him, what should we do? What do we do, typically, this time of year? We buy stuff, we plan, rush, hurry, eat bad food, and consume more than we need, and buy, buy, buy. I was reflecting this week that the American tradition of Black Friday has not only fully infected the whole Western world, but is now followed up by a small business Saturday. Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday. Why is Giving Tuesday last? And why, in this season, are we only looking for more ways to spend money when our forebearers were preparing for the Messiah to come by confessing their sins? John answered them, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So, one way, John says, to prepare for the Messiah is to care for the poor to share what we have, and to practice hospitality. Not with those who already have what they need, and already have Christmas dinner invites, but with those who don't. Even tax collectors came to him to be baptized. Teachers, they asked, what should we do? Now, tax collectors at that time were notorious for taking more than what was owed to the state, and then they would pocket the difference. They were known to be shady. In fact, when Jesus approaches Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, just a few chapters on from where we are today, the text tells us he was known and hated by all because he was wealthy, by illegal means probably, and was publicly known as a sinner. This is from Luke 19 verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Believers were appalled. Jewish believers, that Jesus would waste his time on someone so obviously corrupt. And yet, Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus and others like him and responds exactly how John is encouraging us to do. He, they respond by giving to the poor. John addresses the entire profession. Don't collect any more than you are required to. Be honest. Do your job in an ethical manner. Don't steal and don't cheat people. It's really not setting the bar very high, to be honest. Tax collectors had a reputation in the ancient world for being dishonest and exploiting their position and the system of taxation for their own gain. And that usually meant wealth. At that time, land taxes and head tax were collected by Jewish councils, but it was the indirect tax, the tolls, the customs and duties, which were handed by private entrepreneurs who would bid to own the contract. And it is the second group that John is addressing here. The highest bidder who won the contract to collect tolls would pay the state the amount up front and then set a system to recoup the costs and to make a profit for his trouble. And along the way, of course, he would overcharge common people so that he could make it worth his while. And in spite of widespread concern in the ancient world over this very common everyday corruption, the process remained the same. Tax collectors enjoyed heightened status in spite of their reputation, and it was just an open secret that everybody knew and accepted. They violated the instructions on how much to collect all the time. And John is simply asking them to reflect God's own justice by not exceeding the legal amount that is set. Again, not setting the bar very high. Even tax collectors, corrupt as they were known to be, were welcome to receive repentant baptism and to align themselves with God and his purpose. The second group, soldiers, were also a regular fixture in ancient Rome. And by the time of Jesus' birth, uh, most Roman governors had groups of 60 to 80 soldiers, had multiple groupings of that number, so up to 360 or 480 um, total men in their employ. Even priests had soldiers. The high priest in Jerusalem had his own Jewish troops. They primarily had sort of a policing responsibility Um, uh, but they were also prepared to defend the temple and the city if they had to. Now, these particular soldiers that come to John in this time come for baptism and are probably Jewish soldiers of Herod Antipas. We know that John originally found favor in Herod's court, uh, but as we read the end of the story, the, his condemnation of the ruler's marriage did lead to his untimely death. But before John falls out of favor with Herod, it seems that his prophetic message was having some good reception amongst Herod's soldiers. Because here they are asking to be baptized and willingly giving up their accustomed way of life and seeking to follow Jesus. Again, John is not asking them to do something extraordinary just to end the behavior that was characteristic of their office, which was usually manipulating local people to their own advantage. Soldiers had a bad reputation in the ancient world. They too would use their position to extort the public. As hired guns, they lived life on the road and they weren't rewarded for their efforts until after their tour of duty was done. So, they would help themselves to more than was rightfully theirs as they went about the business of the state. And he tells them don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. So, who are the tax collectors and the soldiers of today? Well, all of us. Everybody. We are all tax collectors and soldiers. All of us, sinners in need of salvation. There is certainly no sugarcoating in John's words here. (laughs) There is no cozy Christmas, no pretty decorations, daily gifts, or festive eating. This is life and death, sin and grace stuff. Listen and be saved, John says. Ignore his message at your own peril. Jesus does not mess around, and John does not mince words. You see, I would like to be preaching today on... Mary and Elizabeth, that would have been nice. I would have preferred to talk about God being conceived in the womb of a woman and how that honors women in the world and his salvation plan. And instead, we get this weird character cussing people out and confronting their secret sin. So what is it that we're waiting for? Advent, Adventus, means coming, arrival. We are awaiting another coming of Jesus And as we wait, we are preparing ourselves for him. Preparing our hearts, our bodies, our minds, for Jesus to come to earth and for the completion of all things. Last week, Andy talked about a public deliverance, the need for global justice, and the righting of wrongs on a global scale. But here in this section of Luke 3, the focus narrows down to the personal. What must we all do to in our hearts prepare him room. How do we all make room for Jesus in our own lives and our souls? Or in other words, how must we change to prepare to receive the Messiah? As believers, our nightmare scenario would to one day hear Jesus say to us, I never knew you. We hope to be freely received by him one day, joyfully welcomed home. But for that to happen, we need to continue to participate in a continual and regular returning. Confessing our sins, receiving forgiveness, amending our lives day by day. Advent is known as a shortened season of repentance for this reason. For the exact reason John is emphasizing in the first verses of our passage, you brood of vipers, he says. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God will raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The second advent of Jesus will mean judgment. Judgment. Whether at the moment of our death or at the general judgment at the end of the world, the end is the same. Judgment is coming. And we know this because of two facts. First, our own weakness. And second, God's transcendence. We are flawed and God alone is perfect. These facts define our reality. And our difficulty to accept these two truths as fact can lead us to settle for a reduced, simplistic relationship with God. And Christian history is full of those who have succumbed to that temptation to be baptized and then to walk away, essentially, forgetting our commitment. And those that do that will not be ready for God when He comes. But we have time on our side for the moment, and we are called to enter into the mysterious nature of these two paradoxical truths. We are sinful, yet God is perfect, and in order to be joined to Him, that difference must be settled. But the good news, and this is why this is called good news, God's judgment is not like imperfect human judgments. Instead, he reveals to us the full truth about ourselves as he looks upon us with love. Judgment happens within the context of God's sacrificial love. He has already breached this distance between our sinfulness and his own perfection. The work has been done. It was God's love that sent John out to preach about baptism as the rite of passage for us to leave behind our normal lives and to participate in the life of Jesus, to cast aside our old self and to proclaim our renewed allegiance to God and his purpose. And then we're called to return to our normal lives with the understanding that we will not be as we were and nothing will be as it was. For we are now true children of Abraham, and our lives, our daily lives, need to reflect that reality. John's baptism was a complete disruption of the status quo. To participate in what he was doing was to agree with the radical realignment with God and his purposes. John emphasizes again and again that if we have come to the Lord... (laughs) and repented of our sins as our baptism states that we have we will bear fruit worthy of that repentance meaning if we are serious about our baptism and the commitment we have made there will be evidence of that truth in our lives real change real deeds (laughs) so the question to ask ourselves is is our day-to-day any different Is our repentance obvious to those who know us? Can those who are close to us see the real evidence of repentance in our lives? Leaders of nations need to repent, and so does each individual person who claims association with Jesus. If you are baptized and claim membership as a child of Abraham, then God's judgment will apply. So let's get ready. Let us embrace our repentance baptism. Now, TV and film have really watered down baptism as some kind of cute little ceremony done in a picturesque church such as this one. Maybe a little bit of splash of water. Maybe sometimes a tank. But that is not the essence of baptism. This is the very kind of misuse of meaningful religious ritual that John is, in fact, condemning. Baptism does not protect us from judgment. It is not a guarantee. We don't have someone splash water on our head one day and job done. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) No, baptism is a total rejection of our old sinful ways of living and a ready acceptance of God's will daily. God's will, if we accept it, will transform us as we mature and develop. We commit to lifelong transformation. Verse 9, even now, John says, the axe is lying at the root. There is an urgency here, friends. We must act at once to realign ourselves around God's purpose in meaningful ways before it is too late. Again, not a very pastoral message. Or maybe it is. (laughs) But John is urgently trying to get his point across that without repentance, we are in fact the offspring of poisonous snakes, not children of Abraham. The crowds that came to him that day, mostly Jews, were claiming their birthright, their born inheritance, that they were children of Abraham. However, their behavior shows that they are actually children of snakes. Vipers are poisonous and hostile to life. And John is trying to tell them there is a fundamental conflict here between the light and the darkness. And that tension exists within each of them, within all of us. John is saying if they continue in this way, if we continue in this way, our future does not look good. For being born into the covenant community is no longer enough. It is how we respond to God's grace day by day that really matters. The crowds before John are like the wilderness into which they have come. They are empty, unproductive, and lifeless. They are dead in their sins. But their calling and ours is to become fruitful, producing behaviors in our lives that demonstrate our commitment and allegiance allegiance to Jesus. We are meant to look like the one to whom we belong. So consider, what fruit do you have that show that you belong to God? Judgment is coming, unfruitful trees will be cut down, and fire will eventually burn up everything that is, and everyone, that is unfaithful. Nothing unfaithful will remain. And those who have rebelled against the Lord will be judged. Those who are opponents of God's purpose will be cut off. And John's words to the crowd that day provoked a crisis amongst those that heard it. And they began to ask him, what should we do? And he tells them clearly, share with those who lack the basic necessities of life, But that is not the basic membership fee for entrance into God's kingdom. But instead, giving to the poor is the fruit of our relationship with God. But make sure to do this quickly because our present is rushing towards a climax and the opportunity to take up the lifestyle of true children of Abraham will expire. The winnowing has in fact already begun. I don't know how much you know about (laughs) ancient farming techniques, but winnowing involved tossing harvested grain into the air and allowing the wind to separate the wheat, the edible part, from the chaff, which was the waste. And John assumes that this separation has already been completed. All that remains is to clear the threshing floor to take the good wheat, the faithful ones, into the harvest. And John's ministry of preparation was, in fact, that winnowing act. The faithful and unfaithful have been separated. They have been identified. And all that remains is for the Messiah to enact his judgment on these two groups, on the basis of their response to the good news. Why is this good news? (laughs) Because this is a warning of the coming of the kingdom. We still have a chance to prepare ourselves. The time has not yet expired. It is not yet too late for us. And while the forecast might look bleak now, the kingdom of God is bringing, that is coming, that God is bringing, is one that is marked by peace and justice and all the good things that we don't see in our world today a kingdom where all sorrow and worry and mourning that we do now will be over, done, finished. You see, friends, Advent is not simply a four-week escape from the pain of the world, topped with a thin layer of twinkle lights. Advent is not about dulling our senses with gifts and eggnog lattes. Advent is God saying to us, I am coming to you. Prepare for me. And when I come, I will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or coronavirus or any of this pain that we see currently around us. All that will be gone in the kingdom that is to come. That is the good news. God's peaceful kingdom is coming, and the time is short. And sadly, time ran out for John. At the end of this reading, John is put in prison for challenging Herod. Herod had disobeyed Jewish law by marrying his brother's wife, and John calls him out for it. And Herod, known for his evil deeds, decides to put John in prison for telling him the truth. Herod is displaying the kind of personal opposition to God that John was indeed preaching about. So it's no surprise that he and John would clash in this way, and this serves as a warning to us also. Here is someone who did not clean up his daily ethical game, and he will be subject to judgment as well. For the Lord is coming. This world will not last as we know it now. So let us get ready for that future today by repenting of our sins and showing fruit in our lives of that repentance. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, this is a difficult message to hear. And receive Oh Lord thank you for your grace and kindness to us that you warn us of your coming that you want to prepare us so that we are ready for the day that you come help us to continue in these works of repentance coming to you unloading ourselves amending our lives and lead us to the good fruit that we would show lives worthy of our confession. May we live into our baptism more day by day. Help us, Lord, to ignore the noise and chaos of this season and to focus only on the spiritual reality that is to come. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Table Radio. An extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors, so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. we